Good morning. How's everyone today? Good deal. I want to make mention of uh, college students that are back in town this week. We were at the BSM Thursday night for worship, and that place was packed out. It was really cool to see. And so if you're a student with the college ministry that are joining us or you're back in school in the swing of things, we want to say welcome to Living Water. We're glad that you choose to come and worship with us. We like to be the home away from home, the church away from church, and so we're glad that you're here. I want to jump right into the scriptures this morning, and so I want to invite you to join me, as David said, in Ephesians chapter 1, and I want us to read together the scriptures from verses 15 down to 23. And so let's read together, and we'll pray, and we'll just get into the message. So verse 15, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and especially today. Um, I ask that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we would behold the truths of your word, that you would bring conviction, encouragement, and just insight. Lord, a deeper revelation, uh, Lord, of who we are in you, of our discovering our identity in you. I know that you would just be honored in our time here today. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began a book study, and this book study is in the letter of Ephesians, which will carry us through probably most of November. Um, we'll kind of just gear up for the Christmas season. But I wanted to take a few weeks just to kind of camp out, slow down, and walk through this beautiful epistle that is written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a, a group of believers at this area in Asia called Ephesus. And just to kind of remind you of what we shared last week, some background of this, this is the, one of the only letters that Paul wrote that wasn't a correction letter. In other words, he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, correcting it, um, a lot of correction in Corinthian church, and so um, it's not like that. And it's also not one that's correcting a bunch of bad doctrine or heresies like he wrote in Galatians or Colossians. This is a beautiful letter that is free from correction, free from uh, just correction of, of heresies and stuff. It's just a beautiful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it should affect the lives of those who place their faith in the gospel. Uh, and so I just shared that Paul's heart was that the people who place their faith in Christ would truly know the spiritual blessings that are, th that are theirs because of their faith in Christ. He didn't want them walking around like spiritual paupers or poor people. He wanted them to know that they were rich because of their relationship through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. And Paul lets us know that when we place our faith in the gospel, and you know, this theme is throughout the first verses there, it says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's talking about the fact that we are in Christ. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you are in Christ, then here's what he says. You are holy and blameless in God's sight. That's pretty cool. That you are adopted into his family. 
that his grace has been poured out on you, that you have been redeemed because uh, a ransom was paid by Jesus when he died on the cross for your freedom and for my freedom, that we've been redeemed, that our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, so our sins are separated from us, that he has showered his kindness, wisdom, and understanding on us, that he's given us this inheritance, this inheritance that's kept in the heavenly places for us far beyond the reach of corruption, Moth can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. But we have this inheritance that is in heaven waiting for us. And as a promise or a guarantee that we would receive this inheritance and that we were purchased by God through the gospel, he's given us a piece of himself. The Holy Spirit that lives in us, he says, is like an earnest deposit guaranteeing that we are his guaranteeing that he will do what he said he would do, fulfilling those promises. That was an amazing first just jumping into the book of Ephesians, right? So what he's saying is like, I just want you to know that you are rich, rich in Christ. And then he breaks into this. This was a spontaneous praise to God. And then he jumps into this prayer. Now, normally when Paul writes a letter, he begins with, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, I thank God for you. And he prays, and he gets right into whatever it is he's teaching. In this case, he jumps right into the deep thick of it, the blessings that are ours in the gospel, and then he just spontaneously breaks into a prayer. Now, as I said last week, in the Greek, this is one long run-on sentence. And I mentioned it as though Paul had, had just couldn't take his pen off the paper, but I was reminded that some scholars believe that Paul had an eyesight problem. right? And so he would have dictated what he wanted to say to a scribe, and a scribe would have written this down. And so you can just imagine Paul is just going, man. He's like, let me just tell you what you have in Christ if you're a believer in Christ. And so the scribe is just trying to keep up. So in the Greek, it says like one long run-on sentence from verses 3 to 14. And then verses 15 through 23 is another in the Greek, one long run-on sentence. And so you can just see the passion and the excitement that Paul has for the believers at Ephesus. And he breaks into this prayer. And I just have to tell you that I was tempted to skip this. I was tempted to just kind of, you know what, let's get on to the chapter 2 and, and look at the other stuff. But, you know, kind of like we skip Leviticus when we're reading through the Bible in a year. Don't act like you don't do it. Right? Chronicles. It's like the genealogies go on forever. Every day it's so-and-so begets so-and-so. You're like, again, there's a lot of people. Why is this? We do that sometimes. We approach Scripture Sometimes we get to these prayers and we're like, eh, it's just a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. It doesn't really relate to me, but I think it's worthy of exploration today. I think it's a great prayer for the church, and it's absolutely relevant for us today because as we see, his heart was he wanted them to know what they had in the gospel, what they have in the gospel, and then he begins to pray for them um, and so I want to look at the insight into Paul's prayer life, and it also is a great model uh, for the church on prayer. I want you to notice, <clears throat> if you're reading the King James, you'll see the word wherefore. If you're reading the New King James, you'll see the word therefore. If you're reading the ESV or the NIV, you'll say, you'll say and, and um, what does it say? Um, I just went blank. Had it written down. Well, therefore, wherefore, doesn't matter. So let's just go on. But the point I'm making is, he says, for this reason. And so the idea is it's connected to a thought or connected to something that's already been shared, right? And so he goes into verse 15, therefore or wherefore. And so with all of this in mind, all of the spiritual blessings and what he's about to share, the purpose for his prayer, he lays it out in verse 15 and 16. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. 
So I just need you to know that Paul um, supposedly planted the church in his second missionary journey along with Priscilla and Aquila. And then he leaves, but he comes back for a third missionary journey where he'll spend about three to three and a half years at Ephesus. And his very successful ministry, many people are placing their faith in the gospel. The church is alive. It's vibrant. They have a strong faith in Christ. They have a strong love for one another. And then Paul goes back to Jerusalem, is arrested. He's put into a Roman prison, and he writes this letter about two years later. And so possibly somebody got word to Paul and said, hey, the church at Ephesus is still going strong, Paul. He's like, ever since I first heard of your faith in Christ and your love for one another, I have not stopped thanking God for you and praying for you continually. Isn't that cool? Just that thought that Paul's like, hey, man, the work we established two years later, it's running strong. And that would be the goal for all churches, amen, to stay faithful in their faith in Christ and their love for one another. But just as an aside, before going further, I want to remind you, fast forward 30 years, and the church at Ephesus receives another letter. It's in the book of Revelation. John on the Isle of Patmos writes this apocalyptic book, and in there, there's these letters to the seven churches. The first one mentioned is the church at Ephesus. Listen to what he says. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So he's commending the church at Ephesus, but then he says this one thing. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And so we see this vibrant church early on, and we see Paul's prayer as he's commending them for their vibrant faith in Christ and their love for one another. And we see what can be too common in churches is this drift over time that can happen and we can just kind of drift away, leaving our first love and our faith in Christ or our love for one another. And so we want to be careful to understand that there's a close connection between our faith and love. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, let me tell you why. Um, John, in his first epistle, first John says, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Therefore, if we say that we are in the light and we hate a brother or sister, then we're really living in the darkness and the truth's not in us. So he's saying there's this connection between our faith in God and our love for other people. And so we say, hey, I believe in God. I've placed my faith in the gospel. We should love other people. We can't miss this. And I know sometimes it's difficult to love everyone, right? Don't look around. Don't look at your neighbor or your husband. But the reality is is sometimes it's not easy to love the brothers. God, it's easy to love those because they're cool, but those over there, they're weird, and I'm having a really difficult time loving them. But he says, hey, listen, if you are strong in your faith and there's this close connection, we need to make sure that we continue loving the brothers. There's this connection. A proper relationship with God will lead to a proper relationship with other Christians. Therefore, if we're in the faith, we need to be careful how we treat each other as followers of Christ. Amen? All right, so I'll stop there. I'll go on to his prayer. So his purpose was just a commendation of their strong faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for God's people. And he says, hey, I've not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. I think it's a great reminder for those of us who are in leadership. If you lead people, to pray for them. And I have to confess that, you know, we pray for you, but maybe we don't pray for you as often as we should. And so what a beautiful picture Paul has as he prays for all the churches is a reminder to us that we should pray continually and thank God continually for the people that he gives us to lead. So notice verse 17 
he begins by saying, I'm asking God, I'm going to God on your behalf, the source of all these spiritual blessings that we looked at last week, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking him to give you spiritual wisdom and insight or revelation so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And so he says, I want your, you'd have a heart that's tuned in to wisdom, to get a spirit of wisdom, not like another gift, and I've just got the spirit of wisdom. No, the Holy Spirit is in us, but he says, I want you to be kind of tuned in towards wisdom, inclined to, attentive to wisdom, that God gives you understanding and revelation or insight. It's just to uncover But what's the purpose of that? I'm asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and revelation so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Key word. Seminaries are really good at teaching young men and women everything about God. We teach the attributes of God, the communicable attributes, the non-communicable. All that means is there are certain attributes that God does not share with anybody else, and there are those that he does share. For instance, he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. We don't, we're not that. That's God. But he's also love, and we, can, we have the capacity of loving. And so seminaries are good at teaching us all these doctrines about God. But can I just tell you there is nothing more important than knowing not about him, but knowing him relationally. You, you can know everything about a person and not know that person. For instance, you're like, hey, I got this favorite athlete, or I got this favorite musician, and you read an autobiography, like, I know everything about T Swizzle, you know, Taylor Swift, for those of you who like her. Or like, I like John Wayne, I know everything about him. Like, I would just say, have you ever met John Wayne? No. <laughs> you don't know him. If you've ever met T. Swizzle, no, you don't know her. The reality is you can know a lot about a person and not know that person. The idea is we can know a lot about God, and we go to church, and we open the Word, and we learn all these truths about God. And what's more important than that is knowing Him relationally. Amen? Like an, an intimate knowing Him. So uh, J.I. Packer says it this way, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about Him. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, I just want, I've already told you what is ours in the gospel, and now I'm praying that God will just give you the wisdom and the insight to know and to grow in your knowledge of God. I want you to know him more. We used to sing a song years ago, I want to know you more. I want to see your face. I think if we saw his face, we might pee a little bit, but the idea is I just want this. I want to get closer to you, God. I want to know you more. That should be the cry of, of all of our hearts This morning, so Paul says, I'm praying for you that God will just give you the wisdom and the insight to know and to grow more in your knowledge of God. And then he says, I pray that your heart, I believe some of the other translations will say, what is, what is, what is, like three different times, he points out three things that he wants them to completely understand about their relationship with God. And the first one is, he says, that you'll know the hope of his calling. Notice again it says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Now last week we talked about those he called and the idea of predestination or being called goes all the way back to the foundation of the earth before he created everything. He predestined that the way people would be brought into a relationship with him is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he predestined. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? And so to those he's called who's placed their faith in the gospel, he says, you have this confident hope. Now, the word hope in the Greek is elpis, and it just means expectation, confident expectation. 
not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. And that hope is founded on, we sang that song a moment ago, firm foundation. It is founded on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the hope that we have for future, one day we're going to close our eyes in death on this earth, right? And we're going to open it up and go, that's our hope. That's our belief that one day we'll be in the presence of God who made it all possible. I don't know about you, but I get giddy thinking about that. Like I just, I just can't wait one day when we see all the things that we've walked in faith with for so many years and it becomes a reality. We're like, I've been walking in faith on that and there it is. And I think it's going to blow our minds. It's going to be so much more than we can even comprehend, right? And so this hope that we have, this confident hope, this expectation, is a hope of the future knowing that our, this world's not our home, that one day we'll be in the presence of God, but it sustains us today. This hope of his calling is a solid foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is a firm foundation that we build our lives on. Amen? And so we have this hope. And Hebrews says about this hope, it says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, right, those who place their faith in the gospel, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us, future. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Man, that thing is embedded in a solid foundation. It's the hope that we have. Do you have that hope today, church? He says, this hope is what I want you to understand, truly understand the hope that he has given you to those who he has called. This hope is what's going to sustain us when life is uncertain. This hope is what's going to give us, you know, the energy to keep on going whenever it feels like everything that could go wrong is going wrong. I am grateful today for hope. Amen? And, and Paul says, I just want you to, I don't think you get it. I want you to understand truly not only the blessings that are ours in Christ, but I want you to truly get to know more of God, not about God, but I want you to truly comprehend and understand the hope that he's given you. Past tense, he has given you in the gospel. All right, secondly, he says, the hope that he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, there's a couple of ways of interpreting that, and a lot of people will go back and and review the the inheritance that is spoken about already, but I want you to notice a key word here, and and I think that it is good for us to think about the inheritance that we have. I mean, to to like, you know, one day, I don't know what it's going to be like, but one day we get to heaven and it's going to be, wow, our inheritance that he's been promising this whole time, that he gave us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he would give us an inheritance. But consider what it says here. He talks about his holy people, that is those who've placed their faith in Christ, verse Four, right? He's chosen us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His holy people who are his, say his. Watch this, his rich and glorious inheritance. What's an inheritance? It's something that we would give to someone else when we, we die. God owns it all. He doesn't need an inheritance. But do you know the Old Testament, it speaks often of God's inheritance? It's the children of Israel. He's like, man, Israel, my chosen people, they are my inheritance. 
But then we understand the mystery of the gospel, and we know that God's will was through Christ to make one group of people out of the two, not the Jew and the Gentile now, but a group of people who've placed their faith in Christ. And Galatians says, if you have come to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. And if you're Abraham's descendants, then you're also his heirs. You know what that means? That we are also God's inheritance. Now, as we think about our inheritance, I wonder if God thinks about his inheritance. Think about what he gave up for that inheritance. He gave his only begotten son so that he could have this huge harvest, if you will, this huge inheritance and its future for him as well, that he's looking forward to one day being with those that he has saved through the gospel of his son. You ever considered that for a moment? I wonder what God thinks of his church. I wonder what value he puts on it. Can I tell you, he puts a great intrinsic value on his inheritance. I think he thinks about it often. I want you to consider something for a moment. Have you ever been to an ocean, sit on a beach? I don't know if you're like me. I've got ADHD, and so these thoughts come to my brain. And I'm sitting on the beach enjoying it, just the smell, the dolphins, in the, you know, sipping the coffee. And I go, I wonder how many grains of sand are on this beach. I'm not the only one that's done that. I know somebody else has asked. I wonder how many grains of sand are on the seashore. And so this scientist, David Blanter, in his book Spectrums, says that a group of researchers at the University of Hawaii, being well-versed in all things beachy, they tried to calculate the number of grains of sand. Here's what they said. They said if you assume a grain of sand has an average size and you can calculate how many grains are in a teaspoon and then multiply by all the beaches and deserts in the world, the earth has roughly, and we're speaking very roughly, he says, 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power grains of sand. Or 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains. That's a lot of sand. Some of you feel like you carry that home in your shorts when you leave the beach, right? So why do I bring up sand? This is interesting. The psalmist says this. Psalm 139, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. Church, can I just tell you, you have great intrinsic value to God. And so this world might define you. They may put a value on you and think you're not worth anything. But I want you to know from God's perspective, because of the gospel and because of his son and what he did, He's like, you got great value in my eyes. And that should change the way we approach him. That should change the way we view him and his love for us. How much does he love us? Well, he apparently thinks about us often, right? We have value. We are his inheritance. So he says, I want you to know the inheritance. And then he says, um, I also pray that you will understand, listen to this, not just, I mean, Paul could have said, I, I want you to understand the power of God. But no, 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 he just lays layers on top of layers of layers of this power of God. And he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Who's the us? Last week we talked about this, the faithful in Christ. This God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So he's talking about this power, and, and, and dunamis, I think, is the Greek word. But if you trace it back, our word dynamite in the English, we trace it back to that. So we're talking big power, not little power. I think sometimes we walk around in our Christian faith, and we're like, yeah, God can do. We, we, we put this little, little targets, if you will, benchmarks, 
that we believe God can do. And sometimes we, we live as though we don't believe he can do the big things, right? God, I know that there's some things that are easy for you, but this is not be, I don't know, God. One time, I was a cable guy before I went into ministry, and uh, I loved being a troubleshooter. I was really good at troubleshooting. And I, when they had an outage, I'm like, send me. I like doing this. And so we had these amplifiers that were powered by 30-volt systems and 60-volt systems. And I got so used to testing it without a voltmeter with my finger. I just licked my, licked my finger here, and I would stick it on the end of the conductor there. I'm like, mm, 30 volts, we're good. It's working. And a 60-volt would kind of tingle a little bit, so I didn't lick my finger there. I just put it on there, and I'd, mm, okay, it's 60 volts, we're good. And then one time we had an outage, and it was an underground system, and so I get up there, and I get out of my truck, and I sit out on the ground. It had been raining. I put my knee on the ground, I open the amp, and I do like I've always done. I stuck my finger in there like, I've never been hit with a paddle from an EMT, but I'm pretty sure it felt like that. It knocked the snot out of me. And I'm thinking, I was well-grounded. So here's what I want us to know. When we're well-grounded in our knowledge of God, that is our relationship with him, my friends, I feel like that that's where we experience the big power. The more you know him, the more you realize the power that he's made available to those of us who've placed our faith in Christ. That's pretty big, isn't it? And Paul's like, I pray that you get it. I pray that you understand this mighty power that is given to, you, uh, to us, that to believe. And he says, not only is it just the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the lowest of lows is like death, right? But Jesus raised somebody else from the dead, and they would eventually die again. So to make sure we understood just how powerful this power is, he said, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the lowest of lows, and listen to this, and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly places, the highest of highs. This is power. Oh, 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 oh. Right? So this is power. He says, now Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. King James and other ones say principality, power, might, and dominion. These are words that we usually use when we're talking about spiritual warfare. Paul will get into that later in this letter. But I mean, the battles that we wage sometimes are spiritual battles. It's comforting to me to know that the power he's made available to us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Christ is now in authority above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Do we know that? Or do we sometimes wonder, man, I don't know, man, the devil's pretty strong here. You might have Jesus whipped here. No, 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 no. This power, he said, is available to us. He's in authority over all these things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So what is the benefit of this spiritual wisdom? Paul is trying to unpack it for them. He's like, man, listen, you are truly rich in the gospel. I don't think you understand, so I want to make sure you understand what you have in Christ. And he lays it out in the first 13 chapters. And then he prays that their eyes would be open, that they would understand just a little bit more in their knowledge of who God is. In doing so, they would truly get it to know and understand the hope that they've been given because they place their faith in Christ, the inheritance that is not only waiting them, but the fact that we are his inheritance and the incredible greatness of the power that is available to us who believe in him. That's what he wants. So the benefit is this, that we would truly know about our salvation in Christ. That knowledge will give us assurance about our high calling as God's people, it will give us the hope and eternal perspective that we need to endure trials in this life. And how many know we will have trials in this life? And to give us the strength to persevere in godliness. That's the blessing and the benefit of this spiritual 
wisdom. And so I said a moment ago, this is how we should pray for those that we lead. God, I pray that you would open their eyes. We used to sing the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. That he would truly open our eyes and let us truly see how deep and how wide and how powerful and how awesome his love is for us. And I would say this, what is the greatest demonstration of love? Think about it for a second. The greatest demonstration of love was the cross. Scripture tells us, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's precisely what Jesus did. And so he said, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does he love us? Oh, church, the greatest demonstration of love was on the cross. What do you think the greatest demonstration of power was? Resurrection. Amen? And so God has demonstrated his love. He's demonstrated his power to us. And my question is, do you really know, church, just how blessed you are in Christ? Do you really understand and grasp just how rich, rich you are in the heavenly places and his desire to know you and to be known by you and for you to have an absolute confident hope in this life knowing that, you know what, I can come face to face with a bad dude in an alley he's got a gun in my head. I'm like, what are you going to do? Send me to see Jesus? I would live my whole life for this. Let's go. To have that kind of confident hope that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, oh, that's liberating, isn't it? To have that kind of hope, to know that he values us as his inheritance, and have that power that is available to us. I don't know about you, but it really goes to this idea of discovering our identity in Christ. Like, who are we in Christ? So I would close with this. Do you know him? The most important decision you can make is to place your faith in the gospel because then you're included in those who are in Christ. And if you're included in those who are in Christ, then all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places belong to you too. You're a co-heir with Christ. Whoo! Do you fully understand what has been done for you and what is available to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope that you've placed your faith in the gospel. Christian, I hope that you just get a deeper understanding of your position in Christ. And that position is not because you're a good person. That position is not because you worked hard enough or you went to the right church or you said the right prayer. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Christ did on the cross for us. Amen? And Paul will get into that later. It's like grace that you have been saved. And it's not by works, so you can't brag about it. It's the gift of God by grace that we are saved. And so, man, do you truly understand what has been made available to us in the gospel? I hope you do. Hopefully that God has just drill that down in your heart a little bit today. Maybe a little conviction, maybe a little understanding of like, wow, what is the response to that? As last week we talked about all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of praise, right? If he's done all of that for the church, it's like, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my obedience. I want to live in this life as though I truly understand who you are and what you've done for me and that you love and value me and your power is at my disposal. And so like, you know what? Bring it on world because greater is he in me that's in me than the he that's in the world and I trust in him I trust in him end the question right so I think that's my prayer this morning for all of us is to take Paul's prayer for spiritual wisdom and pray it for our church today so would you join me as we close father you're so amazing and though we can never completely wrap our minds around how just awesome your love is for us. 
even though we can comprehend it from the text, you know, like, well, your demonstration of your great love and that we were still sinners, I don't think we'll ever wrap our mind truly around how great your love is for us. And so I wanna thank you this morning for the gospel. I, I wanna thank you for our faith in Christ. And I wanna thank you for the demonstration of love that I see regularly in this church, in this fellowship of other people. And I would pray here just for us that we would not go the way the Ephesians church went in Revelation where we walk away from that love or we pull back from that love of others and our faith in you, but we'd stay fervent and we'd stay committed to our faith in you and our love for other people. So bring conviction if there's areas in our life where we have not been walking in that love as we're, we're told to walk in. I pray that you would convict us of that. Lord, knowing that that relationship with you is going to lead us into a proper relationship with other Christians. Father, I pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would help us to know you more. Not more about you, but to know you on a more intimate level. To get to spend time with you, to know your heart, to be able to apply the truths that we learn about you and how that applies for us in our lives. That you would just open the eyes of our heart. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you more. Lord, that you would establish that hope, that firm foundation that we build our lives on knowing that it's based on a past event, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, that it would give us this bright future hope that we can look forward to with confident expectation to know that we are in Christ and we know that this world is not our home. One day we'll be at home with you for all eternity. God, I pray that you'll help us to understand our intrinsic value. There are people here today that have a very low self-image of themselves. And Lord, if we are our own judges, then we're going to beat ourselves up. If we listen to what the world says, we're going to beat ourselves up. Some of us hear what other friends say, people who maybe mean well, they say, and we just struggle with our identity. Help us today to see ourselves through your perspective and your just immense value that you have for each one of us, that we are your inheritance. And Father, I pray that you would help us to experience the power that you've made available to us, those who've placed faith in Christ today, that we would truly see you do things that we can't explain it away, things that we can't give credit to anyone else, but we'll say that has to be a work of God. And we know that you're faithful. God, we know that you've done everything that's needed to be done on our benefit. The problem is not with you, it's with us. It's our identity crisis. We are struggling to know who we really are. And so, God, my prayer is that you would help us to just grow more in our faith as we walk through Ephesians, and not just to get knowledge, but, Lord, just to be transformed with our identity in you and that it would have a great impact on our lives as we begin to break down chapters 4 through 6 and what it looks like in our lives. Father, we honor you, we love you, we give you all praise and all glory. Would you be glorified in our lives as we leave this place? I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.